Hello, I'm R.A. Spratt. I write and perform this podcast. If you'd like to support the show, I'm a children's author, so you can buy a book by me, or you can buy me a coffee by going to buymeacoffee.com slash stories R.A. Spratt. It's an easy way to make a small thank you gift to the show so I can keep kicking this can down the road. The podcast directory you're using right now should have a link to my Buy Me A Coffee page in the show notes, or you can type it into your browser. That's buymeacoffee.com slash stories R.A. Spratt. All contributions are gratefully appreciated. Hello and welcome to Bedtime Stories with me, R.A. Spratt. Okay, well today I'm going to be reading to you Chapter 3 from The Pesky Kids. But before we get into that, I do have an announcement to make. The second book in the Nanny Piggins series, Nanny Piggins and the Wicked Plan, um, I recorded it as an audiobook for Penguin. So it's it went on sale uh, yesterday on the 1st of March. So please do check that out. Download it from wherever you get your audiobooks from. I use Audible, but I know there's lots of shops and uh, download services where you can get audiobooks. So please do buy that. It would be fantastic because I would really love to be able to record the whole series. And they've let me do the first two now. So I've only got seven books to go. It would be very cool if we could have audiobooks of all of those. Okay. Having said all that, now let's get into today's episode of the podcast. Here we go. Chapter three, Dad. Wherever Currawong was, it was a long car ride to get there. Finn had asked why they couldn't take a helicopter, and Professor Maynard had characteristically just laughed. She said helicopters were only for fictional spies like James Bond. Real spies had to use quieter means of transport. So they drove all afternoon and into the night. The minivan had snacks, but they were health food bars and fruit. So while the children didn't starve, they weren't happy. Eventually, they all found the least uncomfortable positions in their seats and drifted off to sleep, lulled by the sound of the engine and Pumpkin's gentle snores. If during the long night the van did bump over anything and jolt them awake, there was nothing to see. It was pitch black outside. There were no streetlights. All they could see was the long country road stretching out ahead of them as far as the glow of the headlights could show. They soon drifted back to sleep again. Wakey, wakey! The children were awoken by the irritating cheerfulness of Professor Maynard. They grumbled and groaned as they stretched and sat upright. It was early morning. Looking out the window, they could see they were bumping along a long dirt driveway, a line of trees either side. Where are we? asked Joe. Home, said Professor Maynard. Finn sniffed. He didn't want to cry, but he had just remembered that their real home had been blown up yesterday and that their mother was in prison at an undisclosed location. Admittedly, she had never been the most motherly of mothers, and now it turned out she'd been lying to them all their lives because she was a super dangerous spy, but she'd always been cheerful and available for hugs. Finn would have quite liked a hug at this moment. Dad lives here, said April peering out at the beautiful rolling lawn and tall deciduous trees drooping with a thick canopy of impossibly green leaves. He does indeed, said Professor Maynard. All these years I've imagined him living in a treehouse in Papua New Guinea, said April. I'm sure he could build you a treehouse, said Professor Maynard. He's certainly got a lot of trees and he's good at tinkering with things. The van bumped around a bend in the driveway and up ahead they could see a house. It was an old ramshackle farmhouse with two stories and a veranda wrapped all the way around the outside. It desperately needed painting. 
There was an odd assortment of junk abandoned everywhere, and the corrugated iron roof looked alarmingly rusty. But even with all those faults, it somehow looked elegant. A tired and genteel home surrounded by so much abundantly healthy vegetation. In contrast to the abandoned, rusty machinery of indeterminate purpose, the flower beds were overflowing with beautiful arrangements of decorative flowers. Bees and butterflies darted in and out of the exotic flowers. Is he glad we're coming? asked Joe. At sixteen, he was used to adults letting him down, but he still felt nervous, hoping it wouldn't happen. I'm sure he will be, said Professor Maynard. You haven't told him we're coming, have you? said Finn. Oh no, said Professor Maynard. Your father is a wonderful, kind-hearted fellow, but you don't know him as well as I do. I'm sure he will be delighted to see you. He is, however, the teensiest bit terrified of me. If he knew I was coming, he might have made a run for it. The van pulled up in front of the house and the children got out. Pumpkin bounded forward to pee on a lovely display of flowering Daphne. Professor Maynard strode straight up to the front door, the children following her at a cautious distance. The professor rapped loudly with the knocker. "'Is that a methane generator?' asked Finn, looking at an unusually shaped piece of machinery sitting by the front door. "'Probably,' said Professor Maynard, giving it a quick glance. "'Your dad does love his little toys.' Professor Maynard rapped on the door again. Suddenly they heard a loud clatter, a thud, scuffling noises, and the sound of someone pleading to be let go. Pumpkin started barking excitedly, sensing violence in the air. But April picked him up. She wanted a hug, and she was much more comfortable clutching her dog than a person. Ah, that'll be him, said Professor Maynard, walking along the veranda to see down the side of the house. Eric, the driver, had a man in a painful-looking wrist lock and was half dragging him around to the front of the house. As Eric and his captive drew closer, the children got their first look at their father in eleven years. It was disappointing. For a start, their dad was eleven years older than they remembered him being. He had a long, badly trimmed beard, wild, uncombed hair, and the sort of screwed-up, wrinkly face you only get if you worry a lot and never use moisturiser. The children could have forgiven most of this because they weren't expecting him to be handsome, but being teenagers, they were acutely conscious of when an adult is embarrassing, and in this, the first glimpse of their father in so many years, he was wearing a long, scruffy dressing gown that clearly showed his naked ankles and hairy calves. It was not a dignified look. "'Ah, Harold!' cried Professor Maynard, completely ignoring the fact that her driver still had him in a wrist lock. "'So wonderful to see you. You're looking well.' "'What do you want with me?' moaned their father. "'Please don't say I have to be brave. I just haven't got it in me.' "'Nothing of the kind,' said Professor Maynard. "'I've got a marvellous surprise for you. I've brought you your children. All you have to do is parent them.' Dad peered at Professor Maynard. He didn't have his glasses on, but now he looked closer, he noticed three indistinct shapes on the veranda near her. He used his free hand to reach into his dressing gown pocket, retrieve his glasses, and awkwardly put them on his face. He wouldn't have described them as children. Three sullen teenagers were glaring warily back at him. "'A girl and two boys,' said Dad. "'I do have a girl and two boys. Are these them?' He was whispering. He spent so much time dealing with plants that he was used to whispering to himself. Yes, that's right, said Professor Maynard. I'm glad you caught up so quickly. I'm afraid Bertha's got herself in a spot of bother over in collective controlled territory, so you're going to have to step up and look after them. They're going to live with me, asked Dad in wonder. His face drained of all colour. 
Finn sniffed and stuck his bottom lip out. Joe mentally started running through all the things he would have to do if Dad refused to look after them, and he had to be in charge. He'd have to drop out of school, get a job, rent a house. "'Have you got a problem with that?' asked April, a hint of menace in her voice. She was already angry with her mother for secretly being incredibly exciting behind her back, and she was quite ready to take her anger out on the one parent who was actually there. "'No,' said Dad, shaking his head so his beard quivered. "'It's wonderful!' Then he burst into tears. <laughs> Joe, Finn and April glanced at each other. They had never known a grown-up to cry so easily. Their mother was never weepy, although in hindsight this may have been because she was a ruthless international operative. Eric, be a dear, said Professor Maynard. Go and make Mr Pesky a nice cup of tea. Eric hurried off to perform this task with the same urgency with which he had passed Professor Maynard the bomb that had blown up the children's house just the previous day. Half an hour later, after several cups of tea, Dad was still struggling to get a hold of himself. Professor Maynard had explained the situation numerous times and patted him bracingly on the back so often that his shoulder was beginning to bruise. Eric had carried the children's suitcases in, and Joe, Finn and April had hurried upstairs to argue over who was going to get the best bedroom. It turned out to be a surprisingly short argument. They usually devoted a lot of energy into arguing about everything thoroughly, but on searching the house they found there were four bedrooms. One their father was using, and the other three had no distinguishing merits. They were all full of junk. The only thing the children had to consider when choosing which room they wanted was which pile of junk was going to terrify them the least when they woke up in the middle of the night, or which pile of junk they were least likely to trip over on the way to the bathroom. In the end, Joe got the largest room because it had taxidermied animals everywhere. Being the oldest, it was considered he would be the least likely to have nightmares. April got the room that had a wash basin because she was a girl and therefore the most inclined to wash. April was a feminist in every regard, except when it came to maintaining sexist stereotypes like boys not washing enough. Although, to be fair, she did have evidence to support this belief, having lived with two boys her entire life. Finn got the room that overlooked the driveway, because he owned a telescope, which the agents had managed to pack for him. He was going to enjoy spying on people approaching the house. On the whole, the bedrooms were depressing and dusty, but they were separate rooms, so the children were at least pleased that they would each have their own door to slam dramatically when they were fighting. They went back downstairs to explore the rest of the house. When they returned to the kitchen, they were surprised to find their father on his own and clutching an empty mug in his hands, shaking slightly. Where's the professor? asked Joe. Oh, she's gone, said Dad. Just like that, said April. She didn't say goodbye. Typical. She didn't particularly like Professor Maynard. The whole blowing up their house thing was a lot to get past. No, she doesn't often do that, said Dad. They all looked at each other. Dad seemed almost as frightened of his children as he did of Professor Maynard. Pumpkin yanked one of Dad's slippers right off his foot. It was old and worn and looked like it smelled gross. Pumpkin was delighted with his new chew toy. "'Would you like me to make some breakfast?' asked Joe. "'Oh, yes,' said Dad. "'We should eat. Maintaining traditional customs is important.' Joe opened the food cupboard. There wasn't much to see. Only a lot of tinned food and several enormous boxes of high-fibre breakfast cereal. "'Bran it is, then,' said Joe, grabbing a box and looking about for bowls. A movement in the backyard caught Finn's eye. He went over to the French doors to have a look. "'Am I having a hallucination?' asked Finn. "'Or is there a teenage girl riding a horse in your backyard?' They all turned to look out the window. 
The garden at the back of the house was even more impressive than the garden at the front. Huge, exquisitely maintained flower beds fanned out between interwoven pathways. It was laid out more like a garden at Versailles than a backyard. And cantering about, weaving among the rainbow of blooms, was an immaculately turned out chestnut stallion, ridden by a staggeringly beautiful dark-skinned girl with long black hair that swept out behind her in the breeze every time she urged her horse forward to jump over another flower bed. Oh yes, that's Loretta Viswanathan, said Dad. She lives next door. The children watched as Loretta's horse misjudged a leap and crashed through a magnificent display of dahlias. Loretta threw back her head and laughed before urging her horse forward again, this time to half leap and half crash through a trellis of sweet peas. Is she allowed to wreck your garden like that? asked Joe. Well, I've asked her not to, confessed Dad, but she's always so polite and lovely about it. She does come over here fairly often, particularly when there's a show jumping competition she's practicing for. But she's a vandal, exclaimed April. A very good-looking vandal, said Finn. Joe turned to look at Finn. He was shocked. Finn had never noticed a girl before. Finn got defensive. What? It's just an empirical fact. And we'll leave it there for this week. That's it for now. Until next time, goodbye.